Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Two. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay, good. <gasps> <gasps> he's a So if you have, if you've never seen the movie Elf, um, uh, Buddy, played by played by Will Ferrell, um, thinks he's an elf, like an actual elf. He grew up in the North Pole, was uh, adopted as a, as a child by Papa Elf, and uh, raised as an elf in the North Pole. And the movie is set up because Buddy has now discovered that he's actually a human. And so he wants to go discover who he is, who is his family, you know, where does he, where does he come from? And uh, I think it's fitting today because today we are talking about names and what is in a name. What, how do we identify with our particular names? Uh, and this morning uh, we, find a, we find ourselves uh, caught up in a story where uh, Matthew is all about the names. So I want us to take a couple of minutes and uh, talk amongst yourselves about Think about your name. How do you identify with your name? Have you really ever thought about uh, what it is to your name? Uh, are there certain times in your life where uh, you really identified with your name? Did you change your name? Uh, so take a couple of minutes and talk about how do you identify with your name? What does it mean? So what, what, do, what do you think it is about names? How, how, how do you identify with your names? Anybody have a example? You hate your name? Why so? Your name, and you don't like your name. <laughs> yeah. 
CCN? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. I see. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so sometimes we don't like our, name, our, our given names. Fran, how do you identify? About anybody over here have a about how you identi identify with your name? Is there a certain way? Ah. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> that that's interesting. How how a lot of how a lot of us end up you know being named after someone. Um, that has come before us, and yet we kind of carry on that legacy, in which case it's Lawrence, the guy who fell off the roof. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. You know, so for, <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, so for, for me, you know, growing up with the name Pryor, um, I've always identified with Richard Pryor, because that's just inevitably come up every time I have introduced myself. So. Uh, so I t end up talking about Richard Pryor a lot, and um, so we find ourselves in Matthew this morning, um, and we, we're going into the birth story, uh, Riley uh, so eloquently read this morning, um, and what's really interesting uh, about Matthew uh, chapter 1 is that he is all about names. We get the entire family tree right before uh, the bit that Riley read. Uh, is just 28 generations of names. You know, it's kind of the, the part whenever we get to it, when we open up the New Testament, we just sort of skip the first chapter of Matthew because it's just this long list of names that we don't really understand or, or want to get into. But I think there's actually, I mean, Matthew puts that in there for a reason, right? It's, it's these names are incredibly important and they lead up to this little bit that finishes chapter one, which Riley read. So let's, uh, let's look at this again. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And I, I'm going to read it uh, from a, a little bit of different translation this morning from uh, what Riley read. Starting in verse 18. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged uh, to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. Verse 20. While he was trying to figure out a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring uh, the, the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. The virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel, Hebrew for God with us. Then Joseph woke up. He did exactly what God's angel had commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby. He named the baby Jesus. 
What a curious way to tell the birth narrative. It's so interesting that Matthew opens up with this litany of names in chapter 1, and then Jesus' birth in Matthew is just this period on the end of this otherwise string of names. Uh, we don't have, like in, in the Gospel of Luke, where Luke actually tells the, the birth account. Uh, Matthew just simply says, eh, and then uh, he named the baby Jesus. And that is it, that Jesus was born. Um, but what I find really interesting here is the fact that, uh, well, one, that this revolves around uh, Joseph. Uh, this is all about Joseph here in 18 through 25, and, and particularly what Joseph needs to name Jesus. But then we have this real curious bit in which the angel speaks to Joseph and tells Joseph to name the baby Jesus. And then Matthew's commentary on it uh, is, uh, so this fulfills the, uh, what the prophet said, uh, for a virgin will get pregnant, bear a son, and they'll name him Emmanuel. It's like, how does, how does that work? You just said you're going to name the baby Jesus. And then Matthew's interpretation is like, yes, that's why they named him Emmanuel. Okay. Uh, but since Matthew's all about names in chapter 1, uh, we have to really examine and, and say, well, why does Matthew include this bit on Emmanuel? This is the only time Emmanuel is mentioned in the entire New Testament. No other gospel writer mentions Emmanuel. Nobody else ever refers to Jesus as Emmanuel. So why in the world does Matthew say that Jesus here is Emmanuel, God with us? Uh, you know, G Matthew's more concerned about who Jesus is, which is uh, what the, uh, the uh, genealogy does, and what Jesus will, will do. So, uh, so if we break down this name, what the angel says, name him Jesus, uh, which means uh, essentially the one who saves or uh, Yahweh saves, that God, God saves. And it's actually just the Latin. If you ever wonder where Jesus comes from, it's just the Latin uh, version of the name uh, Joshua. Um, so Jesus' name is actually uh, Josh, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, so you have this Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Um, and then, you know, we have that God with us in verse 22. What is he trying to say that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel? Um, it's critical, I think, for um, Matthew's, uh, that Matthew wants his audience to understand who Jesus is going to be for everyone. So if we look through uh, the genealogy, I was thinking about reading the whole thing this morning, and I thought, well, this is going to be really, really long. So uh, if you have any spare time this week before Christmas Eve, uh, my challenge is to go home, read through that genealogy, and, uh, and really start looking at the names in there and who these names represent. Because what, what is interesting is that Matthew does a few uh, really uncharacteristic things about genealogies. One, he includes women in the genealogy, which at the time would have been, it's just something people didn't do. Genealogies were always about, uh, you know, who came through the men in the family, and uh, Matthew includes multiple women in the genealogy. He also includes uh, Gentiles in the genealogy, showing that Jesus comes from this ragtag group of people, both Jewish and Gentile. Uh, he has really uh, bizarre figures like uh, Rahab, who was a prostitute. Uh, you have um, David and Bathsheba, uh, you know, their son Solomon. Uh, so you have all of these really interesting scenarios that Matthew puts together that lead up to the figure of Jesus, this Emmanuel, uh, who is the one that saves 
and who is God with us? And I think that's really the trajectory that we should look at today. Um, so there's this tech mogul. His name is uh, Dmitry Ishkov. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? And um, he is, uh, you've heard of him, Philip? So he is uh, really working on a project. He's a multimillionaire that can devote all of his time to uh, attempting to upload human consciousness into a computer. And, and he says, uh, within the next 30 years, uh, I'm going to make sure that everyone can live for forever. Um, uploading consciousness into a computer, if there is no immortality technology, he said, I'll be dead in the next 35 years. Uh, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk, um, he thinks it's possible that within the next 20 years, we'll be shuttling uh, maybe thousands or tens of thousands of people to Mars. Um, he says, uh, the future of humanity is fundamentally going to uh, bifurcate along one of two directions. Either we're going to become a multi-planet species and a space-faring civilization, or we are going to be stuck on a planet until some eventual extinction event. He thinks by 2060, we could have a million people living on Mars. Uh, an author that I really particu particularly like uh, has this great book that explores the human impulse to take flight, this human impulse for immortality. And he says this, despite a great longing, despite the fact that the majority, me included, would choose flight as our superpower, after so many thousands of years, each of us still drops into the world smooth-skinned and featherless. From that moment, on the ground, suckles us to itself. Gravity calcifies in our bones and we do not like it. So our fathers make us laugh by swinging us into the air. When we grow heavy, they let us down, and we turn instead to gods to lift us up. Only later understanding that if we are going to be able to fly, we will have to forge our wings for ourselves. Um, his book is, is um, interesting because he, he traces everything from uh, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci uh, to the Apollo missions and sort of the combining that with uh, what is a modern Christian obsession to uh, reach some other uh, unearthly realm, to, to get up to the heavens. And what Matthew's gospel and what the Advent season culminates into is this one moment where God comes down. God comes to be with us. The gospel movement, the trajectory of God, isn't something that we have to go meet God up in the heavens, but God has already come down and met us here on earth. Uh, when Jesus prays, he prays for earth, he play, prays for uh, daily bread, he teaches of forgiveness and healing in this life. Uh, Jesus spits into the dirt, he makes mud, and places his slobber-filled hands on the eyes of the blind. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus coming into the world is God coming to be with us. God is not somewhere over the rainbow, uh, or just above our atmosphere, uh, but God is here now. You could say God is not in the eternal consciousness of us uploading our brains into a computer, but God is, God is here now. Um, and we should look around and, and find God in each other. Um, Jesus is with us today in the trouble, the sadness, the joy. Um, at the very end, I think it's curious that Matthew bookends his gospel with this very same thought, this God with us, Jesus 
is God with us? In Matthew 28, the very last two verses, Jesus says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of the age. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So what's in the name? What's in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? I'm going to close with this, uh, this poem from uh, a guy named Scott Jose. God with us in all our flesh and blood realities and messiness. God with us in diapers. God with us nursing at Mary's breast. God with us in learning to eat small pieces of bread and drinking from a cup without spilling milk all down his chin. Christ among the pots and pans, as Teresa of Avila put it. Christ among the barn animals, and then those quirky magi astrologers, and then all the rest of the gospel's curious cast of characters. God with us. God with the prostitutes and the lepers and the outcasts, in whose company Jesus would delight again and again and again. God at the dinner table with chives stuck between his incisors. God lifting the cup of wine to his lips. God with us. God with the little children whose warm brows he touched and blessed. God smiling when a baby was shown to him by a proud new mother. God with us in all of our ordinary times and days. God with us, as Jesus would say, even unto the end of the age. Always with us, Emmanuel. Always with us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us in the cancer clinic at the local nursing home where bodies slump pitifully in wheelchairs pushed up against hallway walls. Emmanuel, God with us in hospice, and when life's final breath slips past one's dear, one dear one's cheek and lips. Emmanuel, God with us, when the pink slip comes and when the beloved child sneers, I hate you. Emmanuel, God with us, when you pack the Christmas decorations away and with an aching heart you realize afresh that your one son never did call over the holidays, not even once. Emmanuel, God with us. When your dear wife or mother stares at you with Alzheimer's gaze and absently asks, what's your name again? Ever and always, Jesus stares straight into you with his two good eyes. And he does so not only when, when you can smile back, but most certainly also when your eyes are full of tears. In fact, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you even in those times when you are so angry with God that you refuse to even meet God's eyes. But even when you feel like you can't look at him, he never looks away from you, because he can't, for this name says it all. Amen. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are God with each and every one of us. Even when we don't feel you or see you or notice you in the eyes of uh, our friends, our sisters, our brothers, our parents, um, our challenge is that you, you be present within us, around us, through us, that we are both in you and you in us, uh, that you never leave us, that you promised that you would be with us even until the end of the age. Um, we pray in this Advent season as we approach uh, the week of Christmas that you would be even more closely um, 
to our hearts and our minds and that we would be the embodiment of that presence. Not only for this week, but through, um, through the ordinary uh, slog of uh, a new year, uh, that we would uh, be constantly reminding each other of that reality, um, that you are with us, not during just this season, but um, always. In Jesus' name, amen.